Hi, I'm Charles Christoph Carter. And I'm his mom, Ellen Carter. We'd like to welcome you to this week's episode of Serial Dreadfuls, your place to find original content covering everything from dark historical fiction to science fiction, horror, adventure, and the supernatural. If you like the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast provider of choice. Thank you. In our last episode, to save face and gain the support of the townspeople, Bill Bannister sought out the town gossip and flat out lied about the events that occurred during the manhunt for Greg Vivian. And now, without further ado, the next episode of Yard Work, written by Charles and Ellen Carter, narrated by Ellen Carter. Listener discretion is advised. There are moments in time that you just don't forget. No matter how many times he replayed that night in his mind, Bill couldn't figure out why he decided to drive up to the lake. He just found himself turning the cruiser in that direction. Maybe it was the warm summer night and the look in Hunter's eyes. He should have stopped her. He didn't know what he was thinking. He felt her soft lips, her warm mouth envelop him. He wasn't thinking. She tried so hard to please him, but ended up gagging and threw up all over his uniform. It was one hell of a mess. After that night, he and Hunter saw each other secretly. When she turned 17, he was able to talk Grace into giving her a job in the drying shed at the mill. He found a farmhouse that he rented for the two of them. He had put too much time and effort into Hunter and their relationship to simply walk away. In his own way, he cared about Sally. In the early years of his marriage, he had even thought he loved her. But it wasn't until he became involved with Hunter that he understood what love really was. Unlike Sally, Hunter had always pushed herself to try and find new ways to please him. She always kept him guessing. He was never sure what she was going to do next. One particular night, she really let her imagination go. It was by far the best sex he'd ever had in his life. She was lying on her back, staring at the ceiling, and he was on his side looking at her. He was thinking about how much he really loved her when she said, It's either me or Sally, Bill. What? She turned her head and looked deep into his eyes. Her brown eyes had a determined look he'd never seen before. I said, It's either me or Sally and she turned her head and continued to stare at the ceiling. Do you want me to divorce Sally? Is that what you want? Whatever it takes for us to be together. Do you know what you're asking? She turned away, her back to him, and said, Yes, the same thing you've asked of me for the last five years, to be yours and no one else's. Hunter, think of what you're asking. 
I have. It's either me or Sally. I need some time to think. You've had five years to think. It's not like we haven't talked about this before. You keep putting me off. You and Sally don't have kids to complicate things. All you have to do is tell her that you love me and file for divorce. I don't see the problem. You do love me, don't you, Bill? You know I do, but... But it's always a but with you. Not this time, Bill. I'm not going to spend the rest of my life being the other woman. I've played that part for five years. I'm 21 now, and I have my whole life ahead of me. Either you want to share it with me, or I'll find someone else who does. I mean it. She was too young to know what she was asking of him. She didn't understand. Yes, they had talked about him leaving Sally, and he would, but not yet. There was too much at stake. Sally came from a good family. Beatrice Merriweather was Sally's aunt. Her family founded the town. Beatrice had even arranged for him to get the job as a deputy. He had counted on his marriage to Sally and his connection to Beatrice to give him the leverage he would need to run for sheriff. With Beatrice's help, he was sure he could win. Joe wasn't supposed to be re-elected. Richard Harbinger wasn't supposed to be Joe's opponent. He was. He was supposed to be calling the shots. But Vivian had made that impossible. It was Greg Vivian that she had taken up with not long after that night. In the five years they had been together, he had taught Hunter everything. The thought of that crazy son of a bitch touching Hunter, being with her, having her do with Vivian what she'd done with him, was driving him crazy. She belonged to him, and he wasn't going to share her or give her up to anyone. He drove by Hunter's house one night to tell her that. He told her to leave Vivian, to stop seeing him. She told Bill that she loved him and that she wanted him, but she wouldn't leave Vivian unless he left Sally. He had to choose. He grabbed her to try and shake some sense into her. He wasn't going to hurt her, but what she was asking of him, he couldn't do. Not yet. The next thing he knew, Vivian had grabbed him from behind. They were breaking up the living room pretty good when Vivian hit him across the back with a chair. He remembered falling to his knees and pulling his weapon. And if Hunter hadn't stepped in front of him, Vivian would have been in hell five seconds before he hit the floor. Instead, Hunter screamed at him to get the hell out. As he was leaving, Hunter stood at the door and said quietly, You know what you have to do. He looked at her and then at Vivian. He stormed out of there, his tires squealing, as he sped up Route 3. That had been just before the campaign for sheriff started. He didn't dare throw his hat into the ring. He was afraid Vivian might spill his guts about his relationship with Hunter. That would have ruined everything. If his relationship with Hunter ever came out, he'd have a snowball's chance in hell of getting Beatrice Merriweather to back him. It was all Vivian's fault. He was the one person standing between him and the woman he loved, and he was the one person who could destroy his bid for sheriff when he finally did run. He took another long drink of beer and stared straight ahead. The stupid son of a bitch killed Judith Dalton. Now I've got him where I want him. Nobody's going to say anything when I kill him. They'll thank me. Hell, I'll be a hero around here. I'll be able to run for sheriff and Hunter will come back and everything will be just like it was.
He took a long swallow of beer. Lowering the bottle, he brought the broken promise to his lips and pulled hard, inhaling, drawing the stale smoke deep into his lungs. His body responded violently to the sudden assault, producing a dry, hacking cough that brought tears to his eyes. His conversation just now with Lyle had been necessary. It was his first premium on an insurance policy, one that would keep him from losing face around town if Joe did decide to fire him. Bill glanced out the passenger window and saw Lyle looking through the plate glass in his direction. He raised the bottle of beer in a salute. Lyle raised his hand in acknowledgement. Bill took another gulp, put what was left of the bottle of beer between his legs, put the pickup in reverse, and backed out of the lot. He had driven only a quarter of a mile when he realized that something was wrong. He couldn't understand why it was so difficult to keep the pickup on the road, and why it was so hard to see anything around him. He had driven with a few drinks in him before, and it was never like this. Everything was dark. Glancing down at the dashboard, it took a few moments to register. There was no soft red glow. In his inebriated state, he realized that he had forgotten to turn on the headlights. He placed his hand on the switch, chuckled, and flicking it said, Let there be light. Just ahead, he could see a figure emerge from the woods and begin to cross the road. Startled by the sudden lights, the figure stopped and turned toward the pickup. The headlights shone on his china-blue eyes, his pale skin, the bright red stubble of a day's growth on his face, and the 3D camouflage he was wearing. The man had a rifle slung over one shoulder. The alcohol that Bannister had consumed had slowed his mental faculties, or he would have recognized who it was almost instantly. But even at that, it only took a few moments for it to register. He sat up straight so suddenly that the open beer fell to the floor. Got you, you bastard, he swore under his breath. Joe isn't here to stop me this time. Nobody's going to care if I bring your ass in dead after what happened this afternoon. Great Vivian jumped into the ditch as the truck swept past him. Bill slammed on the brakes and looked over his shoulder through the rear window. There was enough light from the red taillights of the pickup for him to see Vivian as he climbed the embankment and disappeared into the stand of furs. He could feel the pickup slide on the dirt and gravel, but couldn't regain control because the alcohol had slowed his reflexes. The pickup slid off the shoulder of the road and into the ditch with a jolt hard enough to set off the airbag. He was only dazed for a moment or two from the sudden impact. Opening the glove compartment, he retrieved his handgun and a flashlight and scrambled out of the pickup in pursuit of Vivian. Bill Bannister jumped the ditch and slipped into the fur stand. Even in his drunken state, his training kicked in. He decided not to use his flashlight. Not yet. He didn't want Vivian to be able to tell where he was. Besides, the moon was out. He moved among the trees slowly at first until his eyes adjusted to the darkness and the moonlit half-light of the forest. Even after his eyes became adjusted, it was still difficult to see. He proceeded as cautiously as anyone could in his impaired state through the woods, listening for any sound, any movement in the forest ahead of him. He heard fast-moving water. He knew these woods. He knew that there was a clearing and a footbridge just beyond the clearing. He stepped out of the tree line and into the open. 
The moonlight was brighter here. He staggered through the weeds, brambles, briars, and thistles that had overtaken the clearing and finally reached the footbridge. Despite the cold November night, he was perspiring heavily. He fumbled with the zipper on his jacket so he could open it, allowing the cold air to rush in and cool him off. He wished now that he hadn't had so much to drink. It was hard to think, but he wasn't going to let that son of a bitch get away this time. He turned on his flashlight. He swept the beam of light in a jerky fashion along the tree line. To his right, he heard leaves crackling as if someone were walking through them. He quickly turned his light toward the sound and fired his weapon. He saw red and brown leaves fall to the ground. The noise stopped. I hit the son of a bitch, he said under his breath as he quickly started to make his way to where he thought his quarry had fallen. He inhaled hard, the effect of the alcohol impairing not only his reflexes and judgment, but also his physical prowess. He was winded after a relatively short pursuit. Earlier that afternoon, he had hiked nearly ten miles over rough terrain, and it hadn't bothered him at all. But now he was sweaty, winded, and slightly disoriented. He exhaled and drew in another deep breath, the cold air causing him to cough. He was trying desperately to catch his breath and clear his mind. Don't move, Vivian, he said, gasping. He waited a moment and regained his breath. Don't make things worse than they are. We can work this out, he yelled, still moving toward where he thought his quarry had fallen. It was a lie, of course. He had no intention of working things out. He was simply going to get close enough to put a bullet in that bastard's head. By the time he'd reached the location where he thought Vivian had fallen, the man was gone. He must have entered the tree line. The forest was thicker here, but that wasn't going to stop him. He was going in after him. He moved the light across the ground. He didn't see any blood. I know I didn't miss him. Maybe I just grazed him. Bill Bannister stepped into the forest. It was a tangle of dense growth. His pace was slower. Young first saplings fought for room to grow wherever there was an opening. The forest floor was carpeted with pine needles and brush and creeping thorny vines that ran haphazardly across the uneven terrain, catching at the toes of his boots, threatening to trip him. His light caught Vivian working his way through the dense, brushy area of the woods some thirty yards ahead. Vivian turned towards the light. Bill saw his china-blue eyes squint, his brows furrow, and his lips snarl. His pale skin and the flash of his red hair reminded Bill of a devil he had seen in the back of a comic book when he was a little boy. His light reflected off of the large hunting knife Vivian held in his right hand. He glimpsed the rifle still slung over one shoulder. Bill raised his weapon. His gun hand swayed noticeably from side to side. At that distance, he would need both hands to steady the weapon, but he would also need the light to see his target. Frustration washed over him. Again, he regretted the amount of alcohol he had consumed. In his present state, even if he could have used both hands and he didn't need the light, he knew he couldn't make such a difficult shot. He had to get closer, much closer. Drunk or not, he knew these woods. If Vivian kept going in the same direction, he could circle to Vivian's right and get ahead of him. There should be a small clearing 50 yards or so ahead. 
He would be close then, real close, and he could shut Vivian's blue eyes forever. Breathing heavily, almost running, Bill quickly moved in a small arc to his right, pushing through the thick brush as fast as he could. The vines that once threatened to trip him now held fast to his boots, causing him to fall several times. He dropped his light, but he didn't care. He was intent on beating Vivian to the small clearing that he knew should be just ahead. He would wait there for Vivian's approach. Then no one could stop him from doing what he knew had to be done. When he reached the clearing, he stopped to listen. A light wind began to blow. The forest floor here was covered with dried leaves from a single white birch tree that stood alone at the edge of the clearing, surrounded by the forest of dark, brooding evergreens. To the right of him, he heard the rustling of the leaves. Someone was moving through them. He pivoted, turning in the direction of the sound. His weapon raised, both hands holding it steady, trying to slow his breathing down to hold his aim. He waited for Vivian's silhouette, which he thought should be darker than the surrounding shadows, to pass in front of his sights. A gust of wind rushed past him, whirling the leaves up with it. Something sharp stabbed the back of Bill's leg. He whirled, fired, and then screamed out in pain as he felt the second blow slash into his side. He squeezed the trigger again, trying to hit Vivian, but instead felt a piercing pain twice more in his back and chest, whirling each time, squeezing the trigger. Where was the bastard? He began to feel faint. The sound of dry, crackling leaves was all around him. His assailant rushed forward like an angel of death, slashing at him repeatedly. Frantically, Bill's finger continued pulling the trigger. He fired into the dark night until his service weapon was empty. Bill was knocked to the ground. One short, piercing scream burst forth from deep within him, its high-pitched sound escaping only briefly before abruptly ending. And now, a preview of our next episode. Tension rises when the newest deputy on Joe's force stumbles upon evidence indicating that Greg Vivian is holed up at the local motel on the edge of town. Who is the woman in the red Volkswagen, and what is her connection to Vivian? Please consider joining our Patreon site and becoming a Dreadnought. For only $3 a month, our Dreadnoughts get early access to free episodes, exclusive periodic commentary by the authors of the books and the creators of the podcast, exclusive access to episodes of the second half of each book as those episodes are released, and access to the entire back catalog of episodes as our podcast goes forward. Click the link in the show description now to become a dreadnought and aid in the conversion of the uninitiated masses.